Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Spring of Life Fellowship. Thank you for the pastors and the leaders and their wives and their families in this church. Cover them with the blood of Jesus. Help us, Lord, find the way to lead and lift up a standard worthy to follow and to be examples of. We pray that your grace continue to work out this salvation in us and through us. Father, we pray that we would be founded on a solid foundation, which is Christ. Uh, we can build on that, Lord, that cornerstone. And we can build with precious things like gold, silver, and diamonds, precious stones. And Lord, put away the hay and the straw and the wood, the, the half efforts, the the bare commitments, the, the barely made it scenarios. We have enough already to be able to stand and, and be able to move in the direction of what your expectation is for our lives. If you can bring us closer, Lord, to seeing your face and seeing your glory that would transform us, Lord. We ask you do that and through your word this morning, we pray that our lives will continue to move and draw nearer to you and that your spirit would be in us in greater measure, and that you empty us out of those things that are impurities, the things that are obstacles and stumbling blocks, so that we might stand on stepping stones and draw near, ascend to the high mountain of the Lord. We pray that you give us your peace and your joy and your encouragement for these things. We pray, Father, for forgiveness of sin and washing by the blood of Jesus, Lord that you might be glorified and magnified and that you, the world might see your work in us, Lord. This, this ever, ever non-wavering persistence to move in your direction for your, through your mercy and in your grace, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention before I get started is um, the, the Israelis... Uh, the, the people there in the Middle East of, of Israel, they, they have a philosophy. And the philosophy is when 40 missiles come into Israel, and you know that it's an ever-constant barrage of, of missiles, um, the devil's not going to stop throwing missiles and darts in your direction. That's, that's not going to stop. And it's, in fact, you have the shield of faith where you might lift up and block him with the things you know according to what God has shown you. Uh, but the Israelis have a philosophy, and their philosophy is within, the, within 45 minutes of an attack, they're sending out maintenance crews to the site of the missile explosions to wherever things are messed up, and they clean it up, and they wash it up, and they paint it, and they rebuild it. So within 72 hours, three days, it doesn't look like nothing happened there. Um, the Arab countries are opposite. Uh, when they have attacks in their direction, they leave the ruins there for the next generation to see so they continue to foment a sentiment of revenge and pain and sorrow. And, and that's what the devil wants to do in your life. He doesn't want you to quickly repair from the last episodes of the battle so that you could linger on for the next years about the significant loss and the attacks. 
And I, I've done my attempt to not refresh anything that's told to me or talked about or has been an issue um, concerning our walk in the Lord so the devil doesn't distract me and entertain me with sentiments that are toxic and, and, and rotten. Uh, so use that in your spiritual life. Uh, the Bible says, don't let anger, don't let the sun go down in your anger. That means clean up the slate and wash it off and don't let these things linger on for weeks, months, and years. Because all you're doing is perpetuating Satan's work and the devil's plot to bring you to demise. Clean up whatever issues are. The, the Lord's Supper has that function, which is you're not supposed to have an offense that's not released and forgiven past the time you break the bread and drink the cup because you're invalidating your own forgiveness and your own redemption um, that Christ gave you. He says, like I've forgiven you, you go and forgive others. And so that's what separates us from being godly or being ungodly or from being righteous sons of God or being crooked, perverted generation of complainers. Um, this is seen there in, we're going to see it now uh, in the book of Philippians. But, but for right now, just continue on. Let's see if it's Philippians 2.14 real quick. Um, doing all things without complaining and disputing. Well, there goes most of our daily work. Um, this is going to open up at least an, uh, eight hours daily. If we stop complaining and arguing about what's taking place in our life, we have a lot of free time here. Uh, verse 15, because you, if you do this, you're becoming the blameless, harmless children of God without fault. And you're seen in the contrast of the crooked and perverse generation. And you are to shine as lights in this world. Your countenance will be different if you are able to forgive and to let go, establishing, and people say, well, how do you do that? Well, because that's what God has called me to do. I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and I'm not gonna walk like the crooked and perverse generation. I want to shine as a light in this generation. Um, usually if you say amen, that's almost like saying, thank you, I needed that pastor. If you don't say amen, I understand, no, 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 I understand that we one day will be a Christian church and people will say, amen, he hit me, that hit me. If you say amen, that means I nailed you right in the middle of your forehead. Uh, and that means God located you like Bishop Wellington says. He knows where you're at and what's going on. So that's, that's, that's just an appetizer for those that doubt God wants you to get right with him. Um, John 15, 5, a, a, a verse that we should all memorize. We can do nothing without Christ. Why, why, why is the pastor continuing, uh, oh, come to Bible study, come to, uh, come to men's group, come to youth group, come, 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 because you can do nothing without me, says Jesus. If I'm the vine and you're the branches, you get connected so that you could bear much fruit. These connection times that we're talking about is not so we become religious, it's so that you don't spend time spending your wheels Yesterday, I saw one of Gerardo's daughters in one of those little electronic little carts, battery-driven. She was driving, but she hit a part of the 
of the sidewalk where all the, the cart did was spin and she was going nowhere. She was flooring it. She kept on kicking the gas and the, it was just spinning on no traction. And so a lot of Christians are doing that. They're not getting traction because they think that they're accomplishing much by diminishing their attendance at worship and Bible study. And Jesus again tells us a reminder if I'm the vine and you're the branches, I want you to bear much fruit, but without me, without being connected and understanding what I would have you to do, there's no fruit gonna be the result of that scenario. As we continue to watch this theme of ours of perfecting our worship, if you were here on Wednesday night, you received an incredible revelation that the only time worship is really perfected is when God puts you between a life and death situation and you come to the understanding that everything in this life is nothing and that God is everything. So God would have to put you in that type of a storm where everything you think you're strong at and capable of, God has to dismantle so that you come and fall on your knees and remind yourself, because I don't think God needs reminder, that he is the source of your increase and prosperity and goodness. We were talking, I was talking with Pastor Javier um, yesterday, and I was telling him, Javier, you see that your children now are the age of when you came to youth group um, 30 years ago. And the same God who has prospered you shall prosper them. Amen. The same God, because that, that's who we serve. And, and make sure your daughters know how amazing that prosperity has been when you were... So Han Solo, you were flying alone without any hope of any increase. Those of you that don't know Pastor Javier's testimony, it's worthy to hear that at the age of 19, his stepfather murders his mom and his father, I believe at the time was in Cuba. And so he's alone. Stepfather murders his mom and he comes out of the college there at Miami College in the Hylia campus, and he sees his mother is covered with a yellow cloth, recently shot in the head and in the heart by a murderer. And Javier comes out and sees his mom lying on the floor, and he sees the police rings all around, and he wants to pretend it's not his mom, so he gets in his car and starts driving away, but something tells him, hey, you could pretend all you want, but that's your mom back there. So he turns around and true to what the police tell him, there was a murder while he was in class. His mom had arrived in the afternoon at five o'clock and the man was there waiting for her and approached her and, and, and shot her to death and left her laying there. And then he fleed later to get arrested in Key West trying to get back to Cuba. But the, the most disgusting, despicable explanation of the story and, and the answer is, where do you go when life has laid you low at the lowest point and you're all alone? What do you decide to do? Later on that night, they bring him to my house because I was his youth pastor. He didn't have other relatives here that he was close to. And when I saw Javier, I said like this, I said, listen, as I didn't know what to tell him, what do you tell a, a person whose mom was just murdered? God loves you. 
God, what are you going to say? Anything falls super short of even being at that level. And, and all the Lord put me in my heart to tell him is, Javier, never let the devil question the sovereignty of God in your life. Because when you are the lowest, the devil wants to lend you his shoulder so that you can cry on to rip your head off and throw you in hell together with him. In other words, I don't know why what happened happened. I don't know what you're thinking right now. But don't let the devil whisper in your ear to get away from God. Because he is the lifter of your countenance. And don't let the devil allow you to question God's sovereignty. Uh, sovereignty, sovereign, sovereign means above, ren means he rules. He's above all things. He knows all things. He, he has a purpose in all things. And I, I believe that was a key word for Javier not to falter in the moment where he could have thrown, because his mom was a Christian. She got, got up that morning, she did her devotional. She knelt down, she prayed, she read her Bible. So why, why did God not protect her was the great question in that moment. And the truth of the matter is, Javi was able to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. In the midst of that craziness, the only thing that came out of his inside was, thank you, God. That means, God, you're above this, you know everything, and I'm grateful for your goodness. Amen. That saved his life. That allowed him, so we went to the funeral, and at the funeral, everybody came up to Javier. I was right next to him, and everybody would come up and say, you could count on me. Call me on Monday. And I would say, Javier, don't count on them. <laughs> and we went to the next uncle. Hey, count on me. I have a company, 500 employees. You got a job on Monday. I said, Javier, especially him. Don't count on him. <laughs> In other words, don't trust anyone but God. Let God be your, the hand that lowers himself to pull you out of the pit and the muddy mire. Here, we, after the end, and, and it, was, it was curious, on one of those uncles, Javier says, before you talk to this next one, we, we talk to this next one, I got to explain to you, he's my uncle aunt. I said, what do you mean he's your uncle aunt? Yeah, he's my tío tía. He's transgender? Yeah, he's dressing like a woman. And I was like, all right, don't trust in him, especially. <laughs> so we went to 50 people, and they were all saying, count on me, friends of the family, extended relatives, all this stuff. And, and we went to that next Monday. From Monday to Friday, all we did was visit each one. And they each one said, well, times are tough now, and this is not the right time. And not one of them was there for him. Not one. So he, he was confident because he already knew. I had told him on the funeral night, we're not trusting in him, anybody but the Lord. Amen. And then the Lord began to pour out his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, Amen. and pulled him up. And so now we call, we call him El Tio Rico. <laughs> the rich uncle. Absolutely. Glory to God. So that's at whose feet we have fallen. Right. 
And everyone who falls at his feet, he's able to lift up. And there it is in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, as he, Jesus is doing one of his miraculous miracles of provision, that Peter saw it, what Jesus was doing, the amount of fish that were coming into his net. If, if, if the amount of prosperity that's coming in your direction doesn't allow you to fall at the feet of Jesus, it, it's, it's to your own curse. If your prosperity is your demise, I pray that you go bankrupt. I, I do that a lot. I, I, there's one man came about six years ago, and he says, look, this year I made $60,000, so I wrote the Lord a $6,000 check for my tithe, and I'm so appreciative of what God has done. But he told me the following year he made $600,000, and it was hard for him to write a $60,000 check. And so I said, I understand perfectly. You're a $64,000 a year. Man, I'm going to ask God to take away the six hundred. Because you can't tell the line at the level of God's blessing in your life. But here, Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus in his prosperity. The previous verses are, let down your nets in the direction that I show you. And it was an exceedingly amount of fish. And when Peter saw the abundance of the Lord, he fell down to worship Jesus on his knees. And he came to this realization. He said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so this is, this is the place where regardless of what's happening, whether it be a stormy trial or great prosperity that leads you to fall at the feet of Jesus, we come to the realization of who we really are in the light of who he really is. And he's pulling us closer to himself. The same thing happened here to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. While Paul was, it was first Saul, who later became Paul, um, he was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and went to the high priest and asked him for a letter, verse 2, to go to the synagogues in Damascus. And if he found anyone who belonged to Jesus, he was to take them prisoner back to Jerusalem. As he entered Damascus, verse 3, on his journey, suddenly there came a light of heaven and flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why, why are you bent out on coming against me? Verse 5, he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answers Saul and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Again, falling at his feet in his presence. Now get up and go into the city as you will be told what you must do. Uh, again, another example in Revelations chapter one, as John is watching the throne of God from verse 12 and 13, he's seeing everything around him. Um, he's seeing a, a person sit on the throne and he starts describing him in verse 14, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, his eyes were blazing fire, his feet were bronze glowing in the furnace and his voice like the sound of a rushing water. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming on his mouth was a sharp, coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance, the face of the Lord. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. 
as though dead. All these men, Peter, Paul, John, all falling on their face in the presence of God. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, verse 17. I am the first and the last, verse 18. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forevermore. Forever and ever, I hold the keys of death and Hades. So the question to you this morning, I think that we should have a healthy understanding of coming to church is we're coming before his presence. And the fact that you haven't fallen yet is evidence that you're not aware of his presence here. Uh, but the thoughts all these men had is, man, I'm in big trouble because look where I'm at in front of God. And, and I think that this is healthy for all of us to uh, fix our hearts and our thoughts and our devotion before the day we come before him for real and are in his throne and would have a disparity of a sentiment that is not healthy. Um, I always read Isaiah 33, verse 14, because it's a glimpse of being in front of the Lord, and, and this is what the question Isaiah comes up with. The sinners in Sion, those people that are up there are shaking in their pants, and their fearfulness have seized the heart of hypocrites, because now what they should have, could have, and would have done is is at a disparity where, where they, they stood not in the proper place. And the question they were asking themselves was, who among us shall be able to s- sustain and dwell with the devouring fires of eternal blazing? Who among us will be able to dwell in those everlasting burnings? This is not the fire of hell. This is the presence of the Lord. This is, this is you face to face with your maker. And obviously there's all manner of sentiments that is, is had by those people. We have an, an, an answer in verse 15. Those who walk righteously... Those who, who are standing where Christ would have them stand and speaking what Christ would have them speak. I, I want to tell you, if you're a person driven by much excuse, that you get rid of your excuses because there's no excuses in his presence. No one will be able to come up with a great answer. And then it says, not only those who walk righteousness and speak properly, but those who despise the gain of oppression. Uh, what, what is this? These gains of oppression is, is when you are wealthy in your own stead and not because God has put you there. Uh, as I went to see one of these men uh, about 10 days ago, his very first words out of his mouth, because he, he used to fellowship here also, and so was his son when his son was six years old. And now his son is 36. And he says, my son's a, a wealthy, wealthy man. He's a multimillionaire. And he went, woo, he's, he's just a millionaire. I go, your son? I know your son. He's, he's the poorest man I know. Not married, no children, doesn't walk with God, doesn't honor his dad. Where's your measure on what is wealthy and what is rich 
when he's miserable, naked, poor, stricken by God. Um, if we don't have the same economy of understanding that God is looking for those who walk righteously and speak uprightly and who despises being a millionaire if it means that he's had to strip his family of their wealth in Christ. The one who gestures with his hands and refuses bribes. This is like, hey, I'm not interested in your foolishness. Don't invite me to your, your wealth and parties, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing things that uh, after bloodshed. Um, I used to tell friends of mine after I, I became a Christian, um, please don't tell me any more jokes. I'm trying to forget the ones I learned before I was a Christian. Don't, don't, be, don't continue to pour junk in my life. And the person who stops his ears and shuts his eyes from things which are evil. Now, all these things, I, I would like to say that your eyes will en ensnare you to the things that will drag you down. Don't give yourselves the luxury of looking at things that, whose purpose is to destroy you. Um, pornography is, is a weapon of mass destruction. If you cater and, and you entertain pornography, all you're doing is giving yourself the possibility of being dragged straight to the pit of hell. And, and that's what the Bible's saying. Stop your ears, shut your eyes, because there's certain snares and pitfalls. Now, when you're worshiping God with excellence, you don't fall prey to these things. Because these things are false imitations to the reality of the f pleasure of God in his presence. And so that's what we're talking about, worshiping the Lord and being able to dwell in these fires. Um, I, I was listening to the testimony of Gary Wilkerson. He's the son of David Wilkerson. We're in that lineage spiritually. David Wilkerson preaches to Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz preaches to Richie Ray and, and, and is a, a early in his formative years, Nikki was able to to bring Pastor Richie um, to understand ministry and understand how to grow in the Lord. And then later they would do a church plant here in Miami and we would get saved under their loins spiritually and learn about the Lord. And in our formative years, uh, we were able to watch and have a testimony to them being on fire for Christ. And so I was listening to David Wilkerson and he was telling the story of his two sons, Elliot and Evan, who they go back having pastors since the Civil War. Pastors that were born pastors, born pastors, born pastors, born pastors, born pastors. A legacy, a rich legacy of spiritual men. And then David Wilkerson, his two grandsons, Elliot and Evan, story told by their father, Gary Wilkerson, they're addicted to heroin on the streets as homeless. And you, you're saying, how did that happen? Well, they say how it happened. They got involved in pornography and pornography pulled them into heroin and heroin pulled them to the street. And they said the devil deceived us to seek a hedonistic life pursuing pleasure and the feeling good. 
Thank God Jesus was able to bring them out of that homelessness and heroin addiction. And now they testify also with their father. What happened those years that they were on the streets as homeless, having a rich legacy in Christ. So as we worship, we get to the place of Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 1. The very man who asked, how are hypocrites going to dwell in this fire? He has an experience in the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1. History says that Uzziah was his best friend and a father-like figure. And when he lost Uzziah, he was able to see a vision in heaven of the Lord sitting on his throne. I, 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 if we get rid of enough junk, that's all I could describe it. And my kids, they hate how I talk. My, my kids are always, Dad, why, why do you talk like that? I said, well, it depends what neighborhood you grew up in. So we learned a lot of junk where we grew up in. We were in the world, on the streets, and we talk in descriptions that are not good. But Matthew 5, 8 says that the pure in heart shall see God. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When people tell me, how come I haven't seen God? Because oh, you're a filthy little, little, you're a Filth driven, you're full of Vogue and Chanel and Coco Plum, Coco Chanel, I mixed them both. If you're full of junk, you can't see God. Amen. So the issue of purity is get the junk out. Amen. Get all that you think about all day that's worth nothing and start filling it up with the purity. When people don't understand purity, especially if you come from the Catholic religion, you think purity is the way you dress, and it's not. Purity, purity means a singleness of mind, that you occupy your thoughts directed in one direction like pure chocolate. It has nothing else in it. Pure gold, nothing else. It's no mixture. So purity is that you not defile God's reality with all the junk. And I'm amazed. I was just watching this morning. There's a museum you go to, and it's all art. And it's all computer-driven art, and it's all the neurons of the brain, and it's in different colors. And, it, and they say, oh, you go in there? And I'm like, ah! You're seeing all this stuff. You know what you're not seeing? God. So filled up with all the wonders of creation, you've lost focus on the creator. Been driven, tossed to and fro through the tempests and storms of life, and you haven't been able to see God. So that's why purity is so important. And we've done a great job bringing impurity, uncleanness to our house through pornography, through debauchery, through all the idols, worship of every direction and none of God. The absence of God in our homes causes our kids not to know God, to become atheist, to become agnostic, to become all manner of deniers and, and betraying the faith only because there has been no purity in that house. Um, the devil wants to bring clutter into our lives in order that we not see. But on the day that King Uzziah died that was an idol in the life of Isaiah, he, was, he saw the Lord high and it lifted up. 
And he was able to see not the glory of King Uzziah and his royalty, but now the train of the Lord's royal robe filling the temple. Amen. Isaiah 6.1. If you get junk out of your life and quit putting it in, and you know that this world is full of it and they can't get the more of it. Verse 2, he was... He saw the Lord and he saw the angels and he saw their wings cover their feet and their faces and their body. And with two of these wings, they were flying. And he was seeing all manner, chapter, verse 3, and called out to one another, the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Amen. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations, verse 4, of the threshold trembled that the voice of him who called out in the temple was filled with smoke. And now here is the beginning of Isaiah's response in worship to what he has seen in verse 5 when he says, Then I said, Woe is me, I am a dead man. I, I, I don't know what you're going to say. He, he wasn't taken by the incredible visions of what he was seeing and the glory of God's throne and the angels and heaven's presence as he was seeing that vision he was saying I'm a dead man I'm in trouble uh, I'm thinking those of us that will make it to eternity will say Lord could I have given you more of my time more of my resources more of my talents did I occupy dead space was there something that I should have could have would have done greater in greater measure and then he realizes he's a dead man and then he starts describing why he's a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips well the first six chapters of Isaiah he's pretty much land blasting everybody his oh whoa you be better careful. Look what he says in, in Isaiah 5.20, which is a previous chapter. He was going, woe are those of you who call evil good and good evil. Those of you that don't have a boundary that is pleasant to the Lord. Those who seek darkness for light. You're trying to find some good thing in entertainment. Let me tell you something. Every gulp is full of toxic waste. I just went to go see Puss in Boots with a couple of kids last week. And I thought, oh, it's a Christian, not a Christian, but it's a, it's a cartoon for God's sake. That has to be a good movie, right? Can't be anything wicked there, right? Man, it was like pouring acid rain into our children with regards to magic and potions and unicorns and, and all manner of twisted. If you put God's filter on that, you wouldn't take your kids. Because all it's doing is pouring a bunch of what the devil wants in their lives so they miss God. Thank you, Disney. But here, Isaiah is going land blasting those who have improper boundaries, calling darkness light, light darkness, who put bitter things for sweet. And this is, you know, truly, I had to apologize to those two children that I took to see Puss in Boots. And say, sorry that pastor took you. To, I thought it was going to be a good, refreshing 
scenario. But sinisterly enough, there is so much junk being poured on their hearts. It's almost like throwing up on them in light of what God wants to do in their lives. Describing who they are and how they are to accomplish courageously the feats of the Lord. So, so Isaiah is one who, who is saying the right things and teaching and everything's outside of him. But when he sees the Lord, all of a sudden it's on the inside. And, and I say this all the time because I get my share of people that are complaining constantly of, Oh, pastor, you should do this. And pastor, you should do that. And pastor... I'm like, how about you, buddy? Got any ideas for you? Did it ever concern you that one day you're going to answer about you when you stand before God? And so that's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6 with Isaiah verse 5. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of, I've been speaking improperly. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the keen and the Lord of hosts, there's a whole different mindset that is transpiring when you're the one that stands before God. Do you recognize the areas you have to ask God to help you work on? Some people tell me all the time, well, that's just not my cup of coffee. Um, well, then you better have coffee and wake up because this is not about you. This is about how you are going to please God. And you have to die to who you are. Galatians 2.20 says it best when it says, I no longer live. I'm, I, it's not about me no more. That's, that's the Christian revelation that people hate. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I'm not living from what I think, but Christ lives in me. Amen. Amen. I, I told that to a man years ago. I said, look, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not doing what I like. I say, I work in a law firm when I had my law firm, and there I hire and fire whoever I want because it's my law firm. But the church is not my church, or else I would have got rid of you a long time ago. The only reason you're here is because God has you as a part of his church. You should really concern yourself about honoring him, pleasing him, finding out what he likes. He's not accommodating to cater to your convenience. You're to die, and he is to live. And the life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This is all about him and not about you. And that's why a lot of people resent this church, because we're not trying to please people. You missed it. 25 years ago, when we started this church, we said, God, what do you want? How do you want? Where do you want? And that's been our standard. What for? Because I don't want you to be on that day as Isaiah was saying, why didn't anybody tell me? I promise you, you're going to say, Bishop told us. Bishop told us that one day we would be standing in the presence of God and he was looking those who would worship in spirit and in truth. People who understand that God was calling them, 2 Timothy 2.21, to be vessels of purity. If you cleanse yourself from all these things we've been talking, you will be a vessel of honor. Amen. You would have been sanctified. 
set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He is preparing in you the provisions to be poured out to this generation. Philippians 1.9, Paul is reminding the Philippians, this is what I pray, that your love for God may abound still more and more as you increase in your knowledge and discernment. Verse 10, that you may approve, that, that's, Find the evidence for the things that are excellent. That's, that's our DNA in this church. What is the best we could do for God? And, and listen to me. We are pursuing the highest level. We're not, we're not average in the Lord. God wants excellence. He deserves excellence. We're trying to find out what is excellence so that you might be seriously sincere. And without offense... On the day of his coming, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are being, which are by Jesus Christ, so that God gets the glory and the praise forever and ever. This is this track from chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 11. These three verses, let it be your meditation. As you're standing in a rehearsed presence of the Lord, you're wanting to be a vessel of God. You want to be used of God. The first thing he tells you in Colossians 3, 5 is kill everything. And people, oh, isn't God a God of life? Yeah, but he wants you to be dead to things that are upon the earth. Put to death those things on the earth that cause you to move in uncleanliness, fornication, passion, evil desire, desiring things which lift up other priorities before God. I tell people all the time, I know you know how to worship. I see the time and the money you spend bowing before the things that you put before God as a priority. That's your idolatry. Put to death these things. Bring them over to God. Drag them to God's presence. Fall and bow down. And ask him to perfect your worship in that regard so that you might see God. Psalm 51, verse 10, David says these words, create in me a clean heart. Get all perversion out of my heart, Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me continue persevering with those things that you're seeking for. Psalms 24, verse 3, who will ascend? Who's going to go up to this mountain of the Lord and stand in his holy place, verse 4, it tells us those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not intermingled and lifted up their soul before idols and sworn deceitfully, plain, two-faced, double-minded. I know you know how to worship. I see the things that take your priority and your time. You would never be late or be absent. In these things, you're absent and late in the things of the Lord. Verse 5, he shall receive blessings from the Lord, from the God of his salvation. Let's stand this morning. And, you know, coming to church this morning, you, you were confronted, but not unnecessarily. You don't have to say, woe is me, like Isaiah. 
You don't have to miss God. You could have a revelation this morning that God has a day and a time where you're going to appear before him. And you would have started cleaning house like Isaiah was able to do and all these men, Peter, John, and Paul. And now you and I are standing in the same, same footing as these men. And knowing that there's going to be, as a result of our godly exercise and pursuit and priority, there's going to be a great, I mean, I'm, there's, there's super expectation in my heart of how God will catapult us into the authentic measure of his provision. Uh, we said it early on this year as January now has come to an end on the 29th. We've already seen close to 30 days go by. But the, the, the issue is we're making room for God's habitation. Amen. In other words, the God who shows up. Amen. And there's nothing on our side other than a hindrance don't, don't allow anything to be a stumbling stone. Let it be a stepping stone. Amen. God caused this for me to draw closer in my worship to him. Yes. And those, you, you don't have to lose it all to come to the understanding that that's where God wants you. You could have it all and worship with greater excellence in his provision. Um, my words to Pastor Javier about what God has done in his life will not fall short from his daughter's lives. Uh, he's the same God who pulled us out of the miry pit and gave, set us on solid ground and has, I think it's First uh, Samuel 2.8, the process of him lifting us up. He raises the poor from the dust. That's what God did with you, Javier. He raised you up from nothing and left you from being a beggar out of the ash heap to set you as a prince amongst his people. As, and, and the Bible says he inherits a throne of glory. And then that's where it says the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. The Lord sets people in places that are solid, immovable, steadfast. And he's the one that designed the whole world in that regards. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time in worship. Thank you for the past 21 days and the grace to fast in a manner that shows us we're serious in afflicting our bodies that we might see your refreshing, Lord, in the days to come. That the rest of 2023 will be filled with opportunities and purposes that are greater than earthly, vain, temporal pursuit. Thank you for an incredible inheritance to remember our children. You say, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit? Visit our children, Lord, and bestow upon them the same covenants of their fathers. Lead them to a promised land that flows with milk and honey. Allow them to see gold and silver and wells, not not dug, Lord, and orchards not planted and harvests and cattle and sheep and increase that were a gift of, to, from you to them, Lord. 
that they might serve the God of their fathers, that they might worship where their fathers worshiped, that they might acknowledge the God of their fathers. We lift our hands up to you and ask you, O God, that you continue bestowing upon us mercy and grace so we can serve you with gladness and excellence, increasing in our love towards you and towards the things that your word reveals. Be glorified. Manifest your goodness upon our lives in the days to come, the months to come. Thank you for this time of anguishing our flesh, Lord, that we might be rich and deep in our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. You are released from your fast. Go and have a banquet table and celebrate.